Good morning. Here we are. What's up? How's everyone? Good. Awesome. Very good. Um, hey, I hope everybody had an awesome weekend. Um, I want to uh, I want to draw our attention towards uh, something I think Kayla mentioned in the beginning. I just want to emphasize again. Um, if you'll notice back on the coffee table, we have these um, cards that are printed out for Easter. We've been for the past couple of weeks really pushing and plugging. Uh, you know, sharing via social media, that is, of course, free media, right? And so we are huge fans of free, right, as you are too, I would imagine. So um, we've been pushing to, to share this and to, um, you know, tag people in it, things like that on, on Facebook, Instagram, kind of however that works. But um, if, if you're not quite there yet, okay, uh, if you're not as active on social media perhaps, or you have neighbors who aren't as active on social media, you can share, tag, and they're not going to see it because they're not there. We've got these, okay, these cards um, that on the front kind of have uh, our, our theme for Easter this year. He is risen. He is risen indeed, right? We're going to start warming up now, so we're ready for that when he comes. Um, April 21st, on the back, a little bit of information, uh, time, uh, place, super simple, okay? So make sure that you grab some of these. Grab a couple of them, throw them in your car, pass them out when you're at lunch, give them to your waitress, give them to your waiter, walk next door, give it to your neighbor, right, Coworkers. Classmates, right? Take these things with you. We've got uh, some of these back there available. Um, if you're going to give them away, feel free to take as many as you would like and uh, and start passing those out as we uh, try to raise a little bit of awareness uh, about what is going on here uh, at Christ the King for Easter. Um, hey, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 27. So if you would, open up to Genesis 27. Camp out in Genesis 27. We're going to be flipping back and forth a little bit. Um, don't worry, I'll let you know when that's coming, but I would encourage you, always have God's Word with you, always have God's Word open or turned on, kind of whatever that looks like for you, and, and follow along with us. We are people of the book. We love the book, right? This book in particular, although we do love books, right? We love this book especially, and so, uh, so keep this thing open with you. Follow us as we're working our way through. Um, if you don't, like, and it just turns into me kind of standing up here saying things, it's easy to get a little bit lost. And so um, hang out with us in the text as we work through, as Simon's already read for us this morning. Thank you, Simon. Genesis 27, the first 40 verses. We are going to be working this morning through a somewhat complicated passage of Scripture. You say, well, why is it complicated? Well, because this morning we see... Um, we see this story about this patriarchal family that we are first introduced to way back in Genesis chapter 12. If you've been with us for a while, we first meet Abraham and we see the calling of Abraham and we see the promise of God to, through his family, bring about blessing to the nations. We've been tracing this theme, we've been, we've been uh, following it, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, even further back to Genesis chapter 3 and this promise that is being brought to greater and greater fulfillment through this family. Yet this morning we see a story that has been misinterpreted or even avoided altogether, at least in the early years of church history. And here's why. It was seen historically as not being the most edifying for God's people. Now, if you were hanging out as Simon was reading, you were following through or you were, you were on the screens uh, reading along, uh, you might begin to like understand why, right? I mean, what do you do with this story in which the most important group of people are seen through this most 
unflattering lens. And when you see this most important group of people portrayed and painted in what is not the most positive of lights. Genesis 27 is, is filled with, and you saw this as we, were, as we were reading through, deception and conflict. It's a, it's a challenging story. It's a challenging story as we seek to wrap our minds around God's use of such obviously sinful and fallen people who, over much of two chapters, do everything wrong. We're tracing the story of this family over the course of the next two chapters. We are going to see that at every possible turn, they respond not as the Lord would desire them to. Yet in spite of all of this, what we find as we consider both what precedes Genesis chapter 27, that is what comes before Genesis chapter 27, as well as what would follow, everything that would follow is everything turning out exactly as God intended. Does that make sense? Over the course of two chapters, we're going to see the people of God acting wrongly. They're going to be acting deceitfully, right? They're going to be um, acting in an, an unrighteous manner. And yet, despite their behavior, we see everything working out just as God had planned. Time and time again, we witness God using sinful actions from broken people to bring about his saving good. Let me say that one more time, because that's really, really important. Not only to what we see here in Genesis chapter 27, but to the way we see the world around us and our place in it. The way we, as God's people, who continue with sin and struggle understand and, and realize God's ability to work in us and through us to bring about his desired purpose, to bring about what he wants to happen. Okay, that's what we're that's what we're saying. Time and time again, we witness God using sinful actions from broken people to bring about his saving good. One big idea that we've got this morning, that we're going to trace through Genesis chapter 27, and it is this. We learn through this story that the grace of God to rescue does not triumph because of us, but in spite of us. We learn through this story that the grace of God to rescue does not triumph because of us. Okay, the mission of God is not successful because of us. Right? But the mission of God is successful many times in spite of us. That's what we see just, just glaringly obvious from Genesis chapter 27. Within these first four verses, we see this plan devised by Isaac that makes clear for you and I. It makes clear for the readers his imperfection and need for forgiveness. Let's consider what we see there. Go with me to Genesis chapter 27. We'll start in kind of verse 1, and I'm just going to highlight some of what we see there. Number 1, Isaac is old, right? Like old. Isaac is, is old. We see that here in the very beginning of Genesis chapter 27. His vision is fading. 
And it would appear, as commentator Kent Hughes draws out for us, that his spiritual edge is growing dull. And so not only is his vision fading, right, but it would appear as though spiritually there is some, some waning at the end of his life. Creature comforts, we're familiar with these, right, have, have taken hold and we see this man that once held so firmly to his confidence in God now appearing to walk toward willful disobedience. Remember what we learned about Isaac earlier on in the story. We emphasized it last week, but it is worthy of mentioning again. This is the same Isaac who, who walks with his father Abraham up the mountain to be sacrificed in accordance with the instruction of the Lord. The Lord says, I, Abraham responds in obedience, and Isaac follows his father, trusting in both his, his father's word as well as ultimately the provision of God, even at great cost to, to both characters. Yet now, as, as his life begins to draw to a close, we see that this grip that he once held so strongly now appears to be loosening. Right? As we see here within this passage, his rejecting God's word in order to satisfy his quickly fading flesh. Through Isaac and in this scene, we see our own natural tendencies. At least we ought to. Right? As we read through and we hear of, of the struggles of Isaac, regardless of where we find ourselves in life, whether we're closer towards the, uh, towards the middle school end of the spectrum, or we, whether we are, hey, we are in the, the final third of the race. We observe these, these characteristics from the life of Isaac, and we recognize the tendencies of, of our own hearts and our own motives to begin to begin drifting that particular direction and this need to guard them as death is, if nothing else, a consideration at this point. We see that in verse 2. Nonetheless, his frailties and, and failing faculties have led him to begin making provision for the future. Putting things in place, right? Lining things up, recognizing I'm towards the, the tail end of my life, right? All of my, my own uh, earthly experiences are assisting me in seeing and realizing this. I don't, I don't see as well as I used to see, right? I'm old, dependent, right? Probably on, on his children and his wife to, to care for him in a way that he is not as accustomed to as a as a younger man, as a result, right, he, he calls upon his oldest son, Esau. And that's where we're going to pick up in the story. Right, so look with me at verse 3. Isaac calls Esau to his, to his bedside, and he says to him this. He says, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt Gain for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And all the foodies in the house said, yes, amen. All right, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. 
That's what, he, that's what he says here in verse 3. It is here that we encounter a major problem, however. Only to, to see it, we really need to go back into the story a bit. And so here's what I want you to do. We're in Genesis 27. I want you to turn back a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 25. Because in Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 19, we see Moses recording for us a conversation that Rebecca has with the Lord. Rebecca's having this, this dialogue, right, with, with the Lord as a result of this, this internal struggle, this feeling of struggle that is taking place inside of her. Right? She's, she's feeling this, right? It's as though there's this war taking place within. There's a struggle. There's, there's unrest. And as a result, she goes to the Lord, verse 22, and she says what any of us would say. Why is this happening to me? To which the Lord responds. Look at me at verse 23. The Lord says this. Now again, in, verse, in chapter 25, like, Jacob and Esau are not on the scene yet. You actually find a, a husband and a wife who have been struggling through barrenness. This is the same section in which we see Isaac going to the Lord and petitioning for his wife. Look at me at verse 23. The Lord responds, what's going on within me? This is, this is crazy. Like, I literally feel as though there's this struggle taking place within. Verse 23. Two nations, the Lord says, are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. What an interesting pregnancy announcement, right? You have, the Lord says, divided nations within your womb. You have been struggling with barrenness. Yet now life will come forth from your womb. Only now you're feeling this internal struggle. So we're really transitioning one struggle to the next. Isn't that often how life works? And the Lord makes it clear for Rebecca, right, that the, that the child by whom the covenant promise of God would pass was not the older brother Esau, as would have been customary but instead to Jacob, the younger brother. Now in verses 24 through 26, we see the birth of the boys followed by a bit of insight into the relational dynamic within this family. We've all got dynamics within our family, right? The way that the, way that the pieces move and work together. Here we're provided a little bit of insight into this particular family. Look with me at verse 27. We're still in Genesis chapter 25. Moses writes, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob, he was a, just a quiet man. Right? Just a quiet guy. Dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Even here, we're provided a bit of foreshadowing into what might be expected as we venture into chapter 27. But Rebecca, she loved too. She loved Jacob. The plan of God is to bring salvation to the nations. 
And here we see this story taking its next step forward as God's covenant promise would flow through Jacob, the younger brother who would receive the blessing of his father. Only as we look back to Genesis chapter 27, 3, we see a plan being devised by Isaac, don't we? Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 27. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 3, Isaac's instruction to Esau is clear. Prepare for me delicious food, such as I love. You know that I love it, right? Remember back, Genesis chapter 25? And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may, now here's the problem, that my soul may bless you before I die. We've got this, this very obvious degree of favoritism from Isaac directed towards Esau that has led him to act upon his own selfish desires as opposed to the clear instruction of the Lord. It's recorded for us. It's it's very clear, isn't it, from Genesis chapter 25. Insight that we would do well to assume that Isaac was aware of. I mean, after all, how many times would Rebecca have shared with her husband that her preferred son was the one to be blessed. Right, so as we, as we consider what we see in Genesis chapter 25 and this struggle that's taking place within Rebecca and her going to the Lord and asking him what is going on here and him providing insight and how it relates to these two nations and the younger son being blessed as opposed to the older son, as we come in back into Genesis chapter 27, I think it would be fair for you and I to assume that Isaac is aware of this. Right? That, that Isaac is aware of the desire and the clearly articulated instruction of the Lord that Jacob is to be the blessed son. Favoritism has been an issue within this family going all the way back to our explorations of, for the first time, Genesis chapter 25. And we've acknowledged at various points the the sin that is rising up within this family and its individual pieces. And as opposed to responding with repentance for the favoritism that he had shown to his oldest, Isaac now, in chapter 27, compounds his sin. He only makes it worse. How so? Well, he seeks to extend his blessing to Esau, who if we remember from Genesis 25, verses 30 and 34, despised his birthright for a bowl of soup. All despite the fact that God has made it clear that his favor rests upon who? Jacob. A decision that as we will see would wreak havoc within this group of people. We learn something about sin within the family unit here. Or we learn that sin wreaks havoc, right? That, that sin quickly and sinful decisions that we make quickly get really out of hand, right? That one sinful decision leads to another, that leads to another, that leads to another. And before we know it, we have this massive mess on our hands, 
We're familiar with this individually. You've probably experienced it in your in your own life, right? What's the old saying, right? One lie leads to another lie, leads to another lie, leads to another lie. And before you know it, you're like, dude, where am I? Like, what's going on? I'm not even sure what's happening right now. I can't even keep it all straight. In his old age, Isaac gives himself over to selfish ambition. Right? His desire to have it his way. Succumbing to, to the lusts of the flesh. Right? Because Esau's game, right? His food, not his game like Esau got game, right? But more like Esau's food. Man, it's sweet. Right? It's good. It smells good. It makes a, a mean bowl of soup. There's a warning for God's people in Genesis chapter 27. And the warning is this. Make note of this. Do not rest against sin. Do not rest against sin. Let's, let's make this really particular for two specific areas. All right, for, for elder saints... Older saints, older Christians, know that the race has yet to conclude. Right? That the race is not over and that there is a very real need to fight your flesh all the way through the finish. Here in his old age, man, Isaac's behavior is almost unrecognizable from that which we see earlier on in his life. Run the race. Right? Keep, keep the faith. Fight sin. This is the encouragement. Christian, guard your heart against despising the word of God. Let's be clear. That's what's happening here. Right? The Lord's instruction for this family and and the path by which the blessing is to be passed is clear. The Lord says, my blessing right, rests upon Jacob. And so in his efforts now to bless Esau as opposed to Jacob, what is Isaac doing? He is despising God's word. The encouragement then for for you and I, for Christians, is to guard our hearts against this same type of posture. As opposed, let's adopt a different posture, right? We, We desire not to be about despising God's word, instead desiring to lean into and explore the depths of its truth. Right? We desire to hide God's word in our hearts. We desire to meditate on it day and night. Not to despise it, but to meditate on it. Understanding that as aliens in this world, which we are, did you know that? That we are aliens. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners. This world is not our home. And we are created and called into, into something that is infinitely better and infinitely greater. As aliens in this world, there will be conflict. 
Right? We'll feel it within. Right? And we'll feel it from without. Right? From outside pushing in and from inside pushing out. It'll work both directions. But, right? We can rest assured. We can rest assured that the message of reconciliation, that is the gospel that we take with us, possesses the power to encourage you and I for the work while totally transforming us within, right, while transforming the culture around us. In a story filled with, with sinners. Here in verses 1 through 4, we are introduced to what might be described as its chief in Isaac. Verses 5 through 13, we find Rebecca, who is witness to Isaac's plot. Right? The walls are thin in Isaac's crib. Continue on. Pick up with me there in verse 5. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Psst! I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. He said, Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Verse 8. Here's the plan, right? Let's come together and let's figure this thing out. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. As I command you, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. Verse 10. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may Bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. And I'm a, a smooth man. Now we're talking like really hairy here, as we're going to see in just a few verses. The links by which they go to resolve this particular issue. This is like uh, that guy who jumps into the swimming pool, right? At youth camp or your next family event. As the summer months roll around and you're like, why is Uncle Larry wearing his sweater in the pool, right? And we're talking like extra, extra hairy here. All right, we're going to we're gonna have to clean out the, the skimmer after this thing. Verse 12. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and my blessing. Notice here that at no point does Jacob say, wait a second, this is deceptive, right? And this is wrong. Like, surely this is not the way we're going to go about rounding out dad's final days. No. What's his concern? Well, his concern is he's going to get caught, right? That he's going to get caught. And that as a result, dad is going to be exceedingly displeased. Don't worry, mom says. Let your curse be on on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Rebecca knew the way to her husband's heart. It was through his stomach. Right? So she, she made plans and preparation to prepare this meal in verse 14 before tackling the most elaborate portion of her plan. 
disguising her very hairless son Jacob in order to pass him off as her very hairy son Esau. Verses 15 through 16, before sending him in to meet with his father with the meal that she had prepared. This whole scene is absurd, right? I mean, it is just, it is just absurd. Can you just imagine, can you visualize the foolishness of what we, of what we are witnessing take place here? Can you imagine what Jacob looked like as he dawned? Like goat hair and skins, like upon his his arms and neck and knuckles, preparing to go in to where his father rested to give him the soup that had been prepared. The only thing that is more mind-boggling than his attire is the belief that Rebecca has adopted that the Lord needed her to enact this cleverly devised plan to accomplish his will. Right, that, the, that the Lord needed Rebecca to, to step in here, right? As though he were somehow unaware or unable to bring about his desired plan and his desired purpose, despite the fact that Isaac seems to be seeking to circumvent that, to work his way around this. Not only, not only that, but Rebecca has gone as far as to justify her deceit, veiling it in righteous purpose. Let's say it this way, that believing God to need her help, Rebecca decides that it is okay to lie and that it's okay to deceive her own husband. Because why? Well, because Jacob is to be blessed, not Esau. Right? So, so what must I do to, to bring this to pass? Just to be clear, it is never okay. Get this. This is so, so fundamentally important to God's people living in what could be described as, as difficult times. It is never okay to do the right thing the wrong way. It's never okay to to season righteous desires with sinful acts. The ways in which this applies to our lives is endless. It's, It's never okay to steal if it means providing a better life for my family. Right? Is, it, is it okay to lie if it means avoiding certain difficult conversations? No. Is it okay to, to lie in order to, to avoid certain consequences? No. Is it okay to, to veil motives in order to accomplish a righteous end? No. Why? Well, because, because we are to be a people pursuing and practicing righteousness in all things. We are to be a people who, in our actions, in the way that we live our lives, reflect the goodness and the purity and the holiness of God. Because we understand that it is the Lord's desire for our lives and that He does not need our help to accomplish His will. And so, we play a little fun game 
called called Let's Reflect On and Consider What a, a Better Response from Rebecca Might Have Been in Light of the Conversation that Isaac has with his eldest son, Esau. As opposed to calling in her youngest son and saying, Hey, go get a couple of goats. I'll make a, a fresh pot of stew. We'll cover you in goat hair and send you into your father who can't see in order that you might be blessed. What might a better response have been? Well, perhaps a better response is lament. Right? Perhaps a better response is, is sorrow over her husband's sin and bold truth exalting confrontation and conversation. Right? To, to lead into difficult moments. Right? To, to embrace and lean into difficult conversation. Proclaiming confidently the truth of God's word. Not feeling as though there were, there were some need to, to hand it a crutch in order that we might make it come to, God, to pass. That might have been a better response. I'm, not, I'm sure that we could think of a number of other better responses than what we observe from Rebecca here. Instead, however, she, she establishes and she acts her own agenda, her way. And in response, Jacob plays his part. Look with me at verse 18. Let's continue through the story. So he he went to his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am. Who who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? You were gone hardly no time, he answered. Well, because the Lord your God granted me success. We're going to talk about some of these issues, right, as we, as we come towards the tail end of this passage. But let's read it in its entirety first. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son. We all know where this is going, right? To know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to it. Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Right? Something is amiss here. This isn't exactly lining up. Verse 23. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Twice. Once in verse 19, as Jacob identifies himself as Esau. And again, at the end of verse 20, as Jacob cites the Lord's blessing as cause for his quick hunt, bringing God into this egregious and terrible lie, we see Jacob practicing deception. Verse 24, he said, are you really my son Esau? To which he answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. let Let the senses that remain in my old age be satisfied. 
Right? I've lost my I've lost my sight. Alright, my life is is waning to a close. Oh, but you know how I love good soup. So he brought it near to him and, and Isaac ate. He brought him wine and he drank. Verse 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, and he blessed him. Isaac here is is satisfied, right? His stomach is full, and his heart is so set on blessing Esau that even against perhaps his better judgment, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. Right? This puzzle that doesn't quite fit together. He decides, even still, to bless this false Esau. Look what he says in verse 27. I'm going to make a few comments about, about the blessing, because this is a heartfelt blessing. That Isaac lays down for Jacob, believing him to be Esau. He says, see the smell of my son. It says, the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. There's this emphasis here in the first portion of the blessing on the land that Esau has has faithfully sought to, to work. Verse 28, may God give you the dew of heaven and may the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. The Lord's faithful provision and prosperity is being emphasized here in this particular portion of the prayer. Verse 29, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. I wish for you, Isaac says. I wish for you dominion, right, power and, and authority. Cursed to be everyone who curses you and blessed to be everyone who blesses you. Reiterating the Lord's words to Abraham, his father. Imagine for a moment the joy that Isaac must have felt. Just for a moment. This celebration that he enjoyed. My my eldest son, the one that I prefer, the one that I love, has been blessed. Despite the fact that the the Lord's plan going all the way back to Genesis chapter 25 is clear. That it is to be Jacob who is to be the blessed son. Joy for a moment that quickly came crashing down. Look with me at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, he had just barely left the room, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. Man, it's about to go down. Right? Everything is coming to a head. We are about to have this this collision take place. And this grand realization that Isaac got God. Right? Isaac got God. 
Verse 31. He also prepared delicious food and, and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And it is undoubtedly at this point that confusion begins to set in. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? To which he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Now, if in verse 31, confusion begins to creep in, at this point, chaos begins to ensue. Verse 33, Isaac trembled very violently. And he said, Who was it then that that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. There's no going back. The the blessing has has been passed. The Lord's sovereignty has been enacted. It has been realized. It has woven its way through this particular scene. Here we see the the inevitable fate through Isaac's desire to bless Esau of all of our earthly idols. What can we expect for all of our earthly idols? All of our all of the, the idols that we've constructed in our own lives and in our own hearts that we that we offer ourselves to, our gifts to, our desires, our passions to. Man, they crumble. And we're brought to this realization. We're brought to the realization that that God's will defeats all of our fleshly aspirations. God's will defeats all of our fleshly aspirations. That His desires, that His plans, and that His purpose will ultimately come about. Now in this scene, this serves to produce chaos within the life of Isaac's very own person. He gets so so frustrated or or angry or confused. I'm not exactly sure, right? But he just begins to shake. Verse 34. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me! Wait a second, even even me also, oh my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau says, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Is there no blessing left? Is there enough blessing to go around? To which Isaac answers in verse 37. Behold, I have made him Lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine. I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? To which Esau says to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. Isaac is left but one option. And that option is this, to deliver 
this, this counter-blessing to Esau. Understanding that the, the actual blessing has been under a cloud of deception, yet, all, yet not altogether separated from God's will, passed on to Jacob, despite Isaac's best effort. Verse 39, Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless... You shall break his yoke from your neck. Esau's destiny here is away from the dew. It's away from the favor of the Lord. At which point we step back and we say this. Right, that there is no one in this story that looks good. Right? I mean, like, everybody looks bad. There are no heroes. In light of the characters that, that we see communicating with one another here in Genesis chapter 27, Isaac fights against God's word. Right? Rebecca practices manipulation, believing God to need her help. The eldest son despises the promise. <laughs> As everyone seeks the blessing of God without acting as God would desire them to. Right? Everyone desires the blessing, but nobody, nobody at all within the story is acting as God would, would have wanted. We see from Genesis chapter 27 that sin makes a mess of things. Here we see this, this family that is that is torn apart. Don't be confused. Right about what's going on here. And don't be confused about its after effects. We see a younger son who will, as we will observe next week, be sent away to live with his uncle in an effort to save his life from his brother, who, verse 41, we'll look at next week, now desires to kill him. Esau has seen everything taken from him, and Isaac lives what days remain of his life knowing that all of this is brought about. Why? Well, it's all brought about as a result of his selfish and sinful desires. What a hope-filled passage, right? In the midst of all of the sin and all of the chaos, there is this beacon. Right? This, this realization that, that God sanctifies us. Right, that God remains committed to his plan. Right, that God remains committed to his purpose in us and, and through us. This is a line that we have repeated on countless occasions through the book of Genesis. That no matter what evil we intend, God will bring about his ultimate good. No matter what evil we intend, which is exactly what we observe here in Genesis chapter 27, God will bring about his ultimate good. He is going to do it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, reminds us of this. If we are faithless, God remains what? Faithful. Right? If we are faithless, God remains 
faithful, if there is any hope amidst the chaos that Isaac in his bed is able to cling to, it is this. Despite my better efforts, God's plan progresses forward. Right? That his will will be brought to pass. Right? Comfort for Isaac, even in the midst of what I would imagine would be discouragement and and perhaps even shame as a result of the decisions that have brought he and his family to this particular point. I want you to turn quickly with me to Romans chapter 5. I want us to turn to Romans chapter 5, and I want us to look at verses 28 through 31 together. Romans chapter 5, verses 38 Verses 28 through 31, sorry. All right, when you're there, let me know. You got it. Say, I got it. Okay, I'm hearing a few. Romans chapter 5, verse 28. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You're like, wait a second, that's a problem. I don't have that one. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And this is a place that we ought to revisit on a regular basis. It's a place that, that you ought to be familiar with. Right? It's, a, it's a passage that you ought to commit to memory. Make this a family worship practice to read through Romans chapter 8, 28 through 31. To commit it to memory. Right, we talked about earlier, hiding God's word in our hearts. right? Meditating on it day and night. Man, as, as people who struggle in a, in a fallen and broken, corrupt world, held captive by fallen, broken, and corrupt flesh, it is encouraging to go to passages like this and to be, again, just reaffirmed in these comforting realities that God is working in our world. Listen to what he says here, Paul writing to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 28. He writes, and we know... That for those who love God, what? All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In this story with no heroes, we are compelled to look to Jesus. And whom selfishness is replaced with sacrifice. So that brothers and and nations might be recipients of his divine blessing. If you are here this morning and you are not a Christian. And your expectation is that Christians have it all together all the time. Whether that has been the way that our faith has been shared with you. Or perhaps you just assume that that is how it goes. I want to apologize to you and I want to inform you. We don't. 
Right? As Christians, we, we struggle. Right? And we, and we disappoint and we sin. However, right, the hope that we are drawn into through Genesis chapter 27 is that when we do, because we are in Christ, there is forgiveness. Right? That, that through the, the torn flesh of Jesus, the veil that separates us from God is split. Right? And, and adoption is made possible through his life for us. As a result, we seek to live lives of submissive, confident worship in his work and will. And so as we close our time, I want us to, I want us to consider just a few questions. We're actually gonna we're gonna leave these up during our time of, of response. I want us to, to leave these up and I want us to consider these questions as we prepare to come to the table, as we prepare to give of our tithes and offerings in light of what we see here in Genesis chapter 27. I want us to consider these two questions. Number one, how do my daily decisions speak for or against my confidence in God's word? How do my daily decisions speak for or against my confidence in God's word. That is to say this. Like if I were to, to step outside of myself, right, and, and survey the condition, right, the, the daily rhythms of my own life, right, would I come to the conclusion that this was someone who was, who was living a life confident that God's word is, is ultimately true and that his plan and purposes will be realized? Does that make sense? Right? Like, are we, are we doing this? Are we, are we living this? Here we observe a number of characters who, who fail to display this truth with their lives. We want to be people that are, that are considerate of this. Daily decisions speaking for or against my confidence in God's word. And as a point of follow-up, as I consider past sinful and deceptive decisions, what is the next right God-glorifying movement? Here, again, remember, we talked about Rebecca. Right? Rebecca is aware of what ultimately is to come to pass. Isaac is aware of the favoritism that he is directed towards, towards Esau as opposed to submitting himself to, to the word of God and his desire for this particular family. Redemptive history. What is the next right thing to do? For, for Isaac, it is, it is repentance. Right? It would be repentance from these sinful decisions that have brought about this incredibly chaotic Right, uh, tension within his family. Right for for Rebecca. Right, perhaps it's it's hey, this is this is not the right way to go about things. Jacob, I'm not so much concerned about my my father's anger as a result of this decision, but this is just wrong. And so, what is the next right thing to do? Father, I deceived you. This wasn't right. Right, this wasn't appropriate. I shouldn't have done this. Where in our lives do we have these moments that we are in need of doing the next right? thing? Does that make sense? I want us to think about these truths as we <coughs> as we come to the table. Desiring, as God's people, to hold tightly to the faith. Leading into our understanding of his sovereign power, his kindness, and his faithfulness in us and through us. Amen.